Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 3. We've been going through a series of sermons on the book of Daniel. This morning we we're looking at the third chapter. This is a reading of God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that king, the king had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You're commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound and every kind of music, all the people, nations, languages, they fell down and worshipped the golden image that the king had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of every music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the fears of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, furious, in rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made. Well and good, but if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, you have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if it be, but if not, may it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve you or your gods, or worship the golden image that you had set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and fury. The expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was, and he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind the men and cast them into burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in cloaks, their tunics, their hats, other garments that were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took them. And the three men 
fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, rose up in haste. He delivered to the counselors. Did not did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. Then men came out from the fire and the satraps, prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of the heads was not singed, the cloak was not harmed, and no smell had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of these men that will be torn from limb to limb, their houses laid in ruins. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king pronounced and promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we can gather together from the various parts of the city. And we ask now that as we hear your words explained, it will be powerful, life-transforming, only by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just joined us, we've been going through a series on the book of Daniel. And we said, man, this book of Daniel is so relevant for us today. It's about a group of men and eventually a nation that goes into exile. They're uprooted, taken from their places of comfort. And they're in this foreign place, and it's difficult. And they are they face various trials. And we said that this is relevant for us because so many of us feel like we're in isolation. We feel in some ways exiled. Uh, Our daily rhythm of life has been uprooted. And we're facing various challenges all throughout throughout the season. And the question is, how do we live faithfully in a time like this? The book of Daniel is about living faithfully in exile. Faithfully in difficult times. Today we're looking at Maybe one of the most famous passages here in Daniel. Uh, Daniel's friends, they face this ultimate test. Either worship a false god or go into the fiery furnace. Fiery furnace was this intense place where probably statues, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar built, was built in this furnace. This hot lava-like place. Uh, where everything is melted. And today I want to look at the furnace as a metaphor. The furnace is a place of testing. It's an uncomfortable place where God often places us. But the furnace we want to see today is a place where God can refine you. God can strengthen you through this time of testing. And we want to see that we can overcome these things by faith. So as we look at this idea of the furnace, this, this place of testing, we want to look at three things. The test of the furnace, how we can have faith in the midst of it, and how we can overcome 
those three things. And the first thing is the test of the furnace. Last week, uh, we looked at King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a ancient ruler, but he was super troubled. He had trouble sleeping at night. He was anxious. He had the sense of dread that fell over him. That's where Daniel steps in. He comes to the king, interprets the dream for him, puts him at ease. King Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses. He comes to understand the God of the Bible. And we think that he's changed. It seems like it. Well, this chapter rose in Daniel chapter 3, and we realize that the king has gone back to his old ways. It says this in chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth 6 cubits. He set it upon the plain of Jerba in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this massive statue. It's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Just for reference sakes, the Statue of Liberty is 111 feet high. Essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar makes a gold-plated Statue of Liberty. It's this massive statue. And uh, scholars believe that this statue is probably um, a reference to the gods of Babylon, the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. It could also be a reference to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. We know that because he gets upset when people are not worshiping and bowing down before the statue. It's probably a mix of both of those things. But the question is, why is Nebuchadnezzar building this massive statue? Last week, we looked at the idea that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream where a massive statue topples over. So why would Nebuchadnezzar make an actual statue? Gold-plated statue. Why would he do that when he learned that those things are going to topple? Well, a few years have passed since that episode between chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's probably at least a few years that have passed. Daniel's friends are called boys in chapter 1. Now they're men. And the experience, the traumatic experience that Nebuchadnezzar had experienced with that dream, well, he starts to forget that. He starts to forget God. John Owen uses the illustration of a man who's on a journey, a long journey, and along the way there's a lightning storm, and he takes cover under a tree. But as soon as the storm passes, he goes right back on his journey. John Owen says, so is a man who is a slave to sin. He says that sometimes we're on the wrong road, we're on this wrong journey, and God warns us, he sends a lightning storm, but as soon as, and during that lightning storm, we're like, hey, I'm, I made a mistake. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to pray. But as soon as that storm is over, hey, we go right back. We go right back to where we were headed beforehand. Because we forget as soon as the trauma, trauma is over. Years ago, I met a woman who was um, really kind of far away from God. But she said that she had an experience where she was on a 405 freeway, driving in rush hour, and her car spun out, 405 freeway, rush hour. And miraculously, even though she spun across three lanes of the 405, she did not hit anyone. In fact, she spun right back forward into the far right lane, and she was able to exit unharmed. And she felt like, man, it's a wake-up call. I gotta come back to God. So she started coming back to church. She was at church for a few weeks 
And afterwards, I never saw her again. And that experience, as soon as the trauma of that experience worn off, wore off, she went right back on her journey. And this was a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. He has this experience with God. Sometimes we have that as well. But as soon as we feel like we're out of danger, we forget God. We forget Him. And Nebuchadnezzar is right back where he left off. He constructs this massive tower of an idol. He probably does that to consolidate his power. Often religion is used to get people on the same page. That's why he has all of his madrates, his officials, his diplomats. On top of that, in verse 4, it says there's a massive group. It's an international group of people, different languages and nations. They're also gathered. And what the king is trying to do in this whole ceremony, he's trying to consolidate, unify all these people in worship of this false god. And included in that was Daniel's friend. They were, they were supposed to be part of this, this group worshiping, being brought together under this false god. But Daniel's friends, they are only going to worship God, the God of the Bible, the true king. They are, they're going to opt out of worship. But notice that they're very quiet about it. They don't make a big fuss about it. But in verse 4, uh, rather verse 8, they're outed. Is a group of Chaldeans. This is the group in power. They call attention to them. In verse 12, these men bring charges in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 12, this is what they say. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the prophets of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they don't pay any attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These Chaldeans are probably motivated by uh, professional jealousy. Uh, they're put out by these foreigners. They probably displaced them in the pecking order of the Babylonian Empire, and they are out for them. We see that because of the way they refer to them. They are called certain Jews. They mention their race. You know, if you, uh, if you hear some people complaining about their co your co-workers and they go up to management and then they say something like those Asians those Mexicans you know there's probably a lot of racist overtones happening with that statement these uh, Chinese say those those Jews and then they trump up charges not only they are not worshipping they say to the king they pay no attention to you they are disrespecting and they trump up these charges and it works. The king hears this, man, he's furious. In verse 13, flies into a rage, hauls these three men before his presence. And he gives them an ultimatum. You're either going to worship uh, the statue, my gods, or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Those are your choices. And, you know, it would have been easy for them to cave. They would have to be going against everyone, the culture, the king, everyone around them. They were also very privileged. Remember, they, these were, they were high up in the Babylonian Empire. They had a lot to lose by not doing this, but ultimately, they were risking their lives. They were being, they risked being thrown 
into this furnace. The challenge that Daniel and his friends face is challenged in many lesser ways, in many different ways we face today. We're often uh, feel the pressure of compromising. We often feel the pressure of being less faithful, of giving in. In many seasons of our life, we're going to feel the pressure to conform. But why does God people God God always bring His people to these places, uh, difficult places of making hard choices? Why does God do that so often? In Deuteronomy, God recounts how all throughout the wilderness journey, before God's people went to freedom, they spent 40 years in the desert. It was another type of exile. And in Deuteronomy, God explains why he does that. He says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God in these difficult moments explains what he's doing in our times of difficulty is that he says he's testing us. He wants to see what's in our heart. God wants us to know who do we really serve? Who do we really serve? God wants us to see what is really in our heart. What do we ultimately trust? During this pandemic, we're faced with a lot of tests. But the ultimate test that we're faced with is this, this test and this question. Who do we really trust? Who is ultimately our God? This meant less, uh, during this pandemic, God kind of strips away things that we usually trust, or health, or job, or security, um, or ability to have the future laid out before us. And God's like stripping a lot of these things away. And he's asking us during this season, do you trust me? I'm stripping away all these other things. Am I enough? Do you trust me alone? Uh, this last month, I was uh, watching this ESPN documentary. It's called The Last Dance. And it chronicles the last year of Michael Jordan's dynastic Bulls run. And I love this stuff because I grew up being an MJ fan. Uh, before I gave my life to Jesus, I worshiped at the altar of MJ. You know, this huge life-size poster of Mike in my room. And so I, I was in on this stuff. Last week, they chronicled uh, how this Bulls began their dynastic run. And it really went through the Detroit Pistons. Before the Bulls were successful, they had a lot of failures. They could not get through this one team, the Detroit Pistons. They were nicknamed the Bad Boys. Not only were they beaten by them, but they were also physically intimidated and beaten up by them. In 1990, they were recounting how they had lost to them in Game 7. And B.J. Armstrong talked about, after that humiliating loss, crushing defeat, he said they all went in the locker room. Nobody said anything. They were all silent. They all knew what was next. The next morning, without speaking to each other, they were all in the gym, lifting weights, getting stronger. MJ transformed his body, added muscle mass. And they came back the next season and dominated. They swept the Detroit Pistons the next season, four games, and they began their dynastic run. How did they get there? Well, they went through the fire. 
They went through this intense period of hardship. And in that fire, their dynasty was forged. In the, the losses, the crushing losses, their will became stronger. You know, the idea of the furnace is that it could break you, it can melt you, or it could strengthen you. Uh, what we see that God is always doing is He's putting His people in the midst of the furnace, not to destroy them, but to, to strengthen them, to forge them, to make us people that are beautiful, made in His image. So the second point is this, well, how do we get there? You know, how do we respond in the fire so that we can come out of it strong, beautiful, people of God? And the key is faith. And this is the thing that Daniel and his friends, they learn in the midst of the fire, what God is doing, is that he's calling us to faith. Daniel and, Daniel and his friends faced a life or death situation. Life or death situation. How would they respond? One question before we get there is this. You know, Daniel's friends, they're in trouble. Uh, but the question, one of the questions is, well, where's Daniel? How come it's just Daniel's friends who are in trouble? Where's Daniel? You might expect when Daniel's friends were in trouble, Daniel would ride in in a white horse and stop everything and be like, hey, King Neb, these my boys. Like, don't take care of them. Protect them. You think Daniel would rescue the day, you know, with some miraculous revelation from God. But Daniel's not present. Why is that? Where is Daniel? A couple thoughts on that is this, is that no, Daniel's not there. He's not in this chapter because this story is not just about Daniel. There more, there's more people than Daniel. There's more to this story. It's not just about the leaders Daniel, the leader, it's about other people who are going to also play a pivotal role in the story of God. Displaying great faith and courage is not just for leaders and pastors and missionaries, but it's for all God's people. We have a place to play, a role to play in God's story. We live in an age of a lot of injustices. We're seeing it today. And you know, with all of these issues of like systemic racism and injustices, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, what can I do? I'm just one person. I'm just one voice. What can I do as an individual? But look at Daniel's friends. They were three people. They weren't leaders, ordinary believers. But look what they do. At the end of the story, essentially, Nebuchadnezzar passes an ordinance, a law that prohibits anyone from discriminating, harassing them based on their religious beliefs. Essentially, they passed a, he passed the Civil Liberties Act, a Religious Freedom Act, which would go on in perpetuity when God's people were there. It's just three ordinary people standing up who caused a significant movement. Daniel is not present ultimately because he doesn't have to be present. You know, Daniel has been building up his friends for this moment. We see the progression in Daniel's friends from chapter 1 to 3. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends, well, they have a small victory, right? It's a, a victory over food. It's not life or death, but they decide to take a stand, and they decide not to eat certain foods to remind themselves of where they came from, who they really served. It was a small victory. 
Chapter 2, Daniel steps up. And he, he is under fire. And so he brings his friends in. And he has them pray with him. Daniel's going to be the leader. He's going to go. But Daniel's friends, he brings them in. Daniel could have figured it all himself. He could have simply prayed, discerned God's will, went up to keep the king, but he includes his friends. Why? Daniel was sharing power and responsibility. He was building up his friends. So then chapter 3, when their crisis hits, they're ready for it. They, they are ready for it. Do you see the progress of Daniel's friends' faith? It started small. It started, they were included in helping with a crisis in the second chapter. And now this third chapter, hey, they are ready for it. They are ready to stand. Faith is a journey. It's a journey. It doesn't happen all at once. We're not going to be these massive heroes of faith all at once. But we need to get started on a journey of faith. Uh, during this pandemic, my gym closed down. And so for the longest time, I just was not exercising. So a couple months ago, I, st I tried to get back on it, start doing some push-ups. Did not go too well. Only do a few. I tried to run a mile, and man, it seemed like five. And it, it was like my body aged five years in, in a month or two. I felt very out of it. Well, last month I started just working out seven minutes a day. Just a little bit. I started just exercising with my kids a little bit in the morning. And every day I've been building, building up, getting back into rhythm, getting back into shape, starting on a journey. And you know, our faith is like that. You know, I would encourage you to think about your faith this way. If you feel like you have a little faith, is start with small victories. You know, start with small things that can get you back, back in rhythm, back in trusting God. Think about small acts of faithfulness and piece by piece, act by act, start building a monument of faithfulness to God. Get started brick by brick. Think about small areas of compromise, small lies you might tell, things that your thought life, things that you click on, and build small victories moment by moment, day to day, offer those things up to the Lord. I was reading a story about uh, J.S. Bach, one of the greatest composers in history. And it's well known that at the end of his compositions, he would sign it with the initials S-D-G, solely dear glory, all glory to God. But maybe what's less well known is that on his music sheets, they found his music sheets, he would write out the phrase on each of these music sheets, Jesus Juva. That's Latin for Jesus help. On every single sheet, he would say, Jesus help. How did he write these masterpieces? Well, it was step by step, hour by hour, page by page. He was in the habit of saying, Jesus help me. <laughs> Jesus help me right now. Uh, Bach was step by step, moment by moment, offering everything he had to the Lord. And that's what faith is about. It's about moment by moment. Little victories after little victories. Decision by decision. Building a monument to God. Daniel's, Daniel's friends, they've been doing that. They're ready. 
They're ready for this moment. And when that moment arrives, what does it what do they say to King Nebuchadnezzar? He says, they say this in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your, your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. On the one hand, these uh, Daniel's friends, they have extreme boldness. They say, you know, King, we actually don't have to respond to you. We don't have to answer you at all. You're not the person we answer to. You're not ultimately our king. They have a lot of boldness. They say, well, if you throw us into this fiery furnace, God's going to deliver us. God's going to rescue us. They have confidence, but on the other hand, they have a lot of humility. They say this in verse 18, but if not, if we will still not serve your gods. It's an amazing testimony. Um, they have boldness but humility. The gospel is paradoxical that way. The gospel gives us courage, yet it gives us humility. The humility part is they say, well, we think that God's going to rescue us, but we're not completely sure. Maybe God will not rescue us. And that's something that we all have to do as well. We can feel like God's going to come through for us, but we have to submit our will to God's will. We have to say, well, my plan might not come into fruition. God's plan might be greater than my own, and I submit to that plan. So humility to that. Uh, Daniel's friends also demonstrate the purity of their motives. What they're saying is that this might not happen, and I'm not obeying you, obeying God, because I know he will deliver me, because I will obey even if he will not deliver me. And it shows them that they are obeying God, even if they're not, even if he doesn't fit their plan, even if their agenda is not fulfilled. And it's a, a beautiful act. You know, sometimes God does not deliver us from the furnace. We know that throughout church history, even all of the apostles were martyred. Uh, they were not delivered from that furnace. And what Daniel's friends and the people of God throughout history is saying is that even if he doesn't deliver us, we still submit to God. We still know God has a greater plan than our own plans. And that's faith. Faith is not confidence in myself, my plan, my desires, but faith is trusting God's plan. Faith is trusting that even though things don't go my way, I trust in the providence, the plan, the power of God. Faith right now might mean saying, man, I hope I do not get sick. I hope I do not lose my job. I hope everyone around me is sick, but faith means even though they are not sick, even though I get sick, even though I really struggle for a long period of time, I can still trust the Lord. You know, there's a, uh, some of us have an if faith, and some of us have an even though faith. Uh, if faith says, man, if things go my way, if I am healthy, I'll praise God. 
if I keep my job and things go well with me, then I will worship. But even though faith is really in the essence genuine faith, it says even though things are hard, yet I will worship. Even though God does not deliver me from this furnace, I will still worship Him because I know, man, I trust that His plan is greater, more beautiful than my own. That is faith. That is faith, ultimately in God and not in ourselves. But as we come to this last point, how do we, how do we know that? You know, at the end of faith, we ask ourselves, how do we ultimately know God's plan is better than my own? And this is the last point, overcoming the furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar, he hears the response of these men, he's personally insulted. He's not used to being defied so brazenly. So he tells his men to heat the furnace seven times a normal heat. Seven times. A seven is number of completion. So as, as hot as it can possibly get. In fact, it's so hot when the men, he calls them the mighty men. These are his best warriors. When they go to deliver, throw Daniel's friends in, as they do that, they're killed. The heat is so extreme that these men are killed. But as soon as they are thrown in, King Nebuchadnezzar, he realizes something is amiss. This is what he says in verse 24. The King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, they would cast three men bound into the fire. They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The king realizes that not only are they not hurt, the three men, but there's a fourth figure in the fire. Three went in for our present. And as he looks, squints, tries to get a, a handle on who that is, he realizes it is not a human being. He says he's a son of a god. Who is that figure? Well, in Isaiah 43, 2, we get a, a glimpse of who that figure is. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. God says in Isaiah, when you go through the fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will be with you. And because I'm with you, I will protect you from those fires. You know, sometimes we ask God, God, keep me from the fire, from the furnace. But the promise of God is not that he's going to keep you from the furnace. But the promise of God is he will be with you in the furnace. That in the most difficult places, the promise is that God's going to be with us. He's going to be present with us in the fire. He promises not that he's going to save us from a life of trouble. He's going to keep us from bad things happening. But the promise of God is that when those bad and difficult things happen, God says, I'm going to be there with you. I'm in that fire. I'm going to be with you, protecting you, caring for you. God is often closer to us in times of weakness and failure 
than in times of victories and success. That we feel, we can often, I've experienced this in my own life, that I feel the presence of God most intimately in those most trying places. When King Nebuchadnezzar sees that they're unharmed, he sees this other figure and he brings them out. And he falls on his knees and he realizes God is the king. God is the king. And last week he simply acknowledges it, that, but in this week in verse 28, he actually praises God. He joins in the worship of God. You know, what is the story ultimately about it? Well, it ultimately is the story about a God who is present with us. And that brings us really to the point of Jesus. The idea of Jesus is that God is not up there, but God has come down here to be with us. God is with us in the midst of our pain. He's in the midst of all of our struggles. But God is present with us. Daniel's friends, they testify uh, that even though they're faced with death, but God rescues them. Uh, they are able to overcome this fiery furnace. But think about Jesus. Uh, he was put on trial and threatened with a certain death. But ultimately, God the Father does not rescue Jesus. Jesus faces that fiery furnace and perishes for us. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was willing to sacrifice his mighty men. He didn't care about them. They died serving him throwing Daniel's men into the fiery furnace. But think about God, Jesus the King. Jesus is sacrificed for us so that we would be rescued from that ultimate furnace. Because Jesus suffers for us, uh, Hebrews calls Jesus the sympathetic high priest. That whenever we feel struggle or pain or pressure, Jesus knows all about that. Jesus is our high priest. When we suffer with Jesus, he's with us. He knows all about that. Only when we see the love of Jesus for us will we be changed. One of the reasons King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't changed was that he just saw the power of God answering uh, dreams, toppling empires, uh, being, saving, rescuing people, but he doesn't see the love of God. And ultimately, the thing that changes us is not seeing God's power, not being threatened by God. It's going to change us only for a minute. But what changes us forever is experiencing the love of God. Seeing a God who would serve us and sacrifice for us and be with us. And that's the thing that is going to say, change you. The thing that also gives us hope is this idea that Jesus resurrects from the grave. You know, what's interesting about Daniel's friend is that they they don't really clearly have an understanding of the resurrection. They probably have some foggy ideas of it, but they don't really clearly understand that. This side of Jesus, uh, we know clearly the idea that Jesus died and he resurrected. If we have faith in him, we too will resurrect. So we can have confidence, like all the martyrs, that even though we die, even though we don't get through it, we can have confidence that we will rise again. One of two things will happen to us. Either we'll go through the furnace, struggle, sufferings, and hardship, and God will be with us in it, 
He will rescue us from it. We'll get through it. Or we won't. And yet, we will resurrect. We're going to be with Jesus. Heads or tails, we're good. Because of that, we can have confidence. Think about the, I like to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they approached that fiery furnace. They must have been terrified. Because uh, we know that they didn't ultimately know what was going to happen. Uh, when they saw the mighty men dying, as they put them in, they must have been terrified. But imagine their joy in the furnace when they realized that they weren't hurt by it. Imagine they must have been hugging each other. They must have been celebrating. Their fear must have turned to joy. In that furnace, they must have danced in that furnace. They must have had delight in that furnace. This morning, you might find yourself in a furnace. You might find yourself in a difficult place. But we can dance with Shadrach, Meshach, and Epineco. We can have confidence that either we're not going to get hurt by it or, hey, we're, we're, we are going to overcome it in a resurrection in the life to come. We can rejoice now. This story begins with King Nebuchadnezzar. He tries to get this multinational group of people together to worship a false god. Man, it fails. does not work. We know at the end of the Bible Revelation, there's going to be a true multinational worship. And it's going to be of a true God. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to get together. And what are we going to be singing? Uh, the chorus in Revelation that we're going to sing forever and eternity, we're going to sing together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is a God, Jesus, who did not command us to die in service to Him, but He was slain for us. That's a God worthy of our worship. That's a God worthy of our praise, of our life. That's a God who will transform your life that's a God not just of justice, but of love. And we can have confidence in Him. This morning, wherever you are, whatever furnace you get to, which you find joy in it. God is with you in it. God's promise is that you can even now rejoice. Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for all that you are. I pray for us who might feel like we're in a place of testing, place of difficulties, and I pray that in the midst of those things that you would strip all those things away and we would see that you are enough. I pray like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you would purify our faith, strengthen us step by step, day by day. Help us to be people of courage and faithfulness that will testify of your worth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.